It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. What up, Bengals fans? Welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. You got just James yesterday. Today, it is just me as he finishes up his pre-training camp vacation. He is away and doing some relaxing before he is down in Paul Brown Stadium to cover this team in person, which is a luxury that I do not have. So we can thank, well, Sports Illustrated for giving James that opportunity. And he will be back in Paul Brown Stadium hopefully next week. As training camp gets started, as it's currently scheduled, for July 28th. That's about a week away. A week away from today as I record this on th- on Tuesday night. And today in Paul Brown Stadium, we had some news about some rookies signing some deals. We'll talk about that at the beginning of the show. I'll, I'll update you in case you've missed it. on um, What exactly these rookies reporting today on Tuesday or yesterday, if you're listening on Wednesday, actually means. It doesn't mean that they went into Paul Brown Stadium. It was clarified for us. There's a little bit of news from Laurel Fowler, WCPO, about Rodney Anderson. Rodney Anderson is the first Bengal to go on record saying that he plans to take a knee this year. We're going to cover that a little bit as well. And then James took the opportunity yesterday, without me being on the podcast, to tell you to have high expectations for A.J. Green. To tell you that, you know, we're entering a new era with Joe Burrow and all this rah-rah stuff. And that's great. That's that's important. And and I won't begrudge you high expectations of AJ Green as long as you keep in mind that things might not go according to plan. That's all I'm talking about. When I when I talk about anything on this podcast, I don't make predictions. I talk about ranges of outcomes. You guys know that by now. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Maybe you're sick of it at this point. Maybe not. But I can't just let James hype you guys up in an episode when I'm not here and not at least try to offer the other side of that. The voice of reason is how I see myself in this conversation. But we'll get there in the later part of the show. We're going to start with the news, though. And that is that some rookies have officially signed their contracts. On Tuesday, the Cincinnati Bengals had rookies show up to the parking lot to get their COVID test done, and it looks like they also handed several of those rookies their contracts. Who does that include? All of the linebackers the Bengals drafted, third-round pick out of Wyoming, Logan Wilson, fourth-round pick out of Appalachian State, Akeem Davis-Gaither, and seventh-round pick out of Purdue, Marcus Bailey. In addition to the linebackers, they also signed Hakeem Adeniji, the sixth-round offensive lineman from Kansas, to his rookie deal. 
Several of the players, including Logan Wilson, Marcus Bailey, and Hakeem Adeniji posted some photos of themselves putting pen to paper on their various social medias. Two of those on Instagram, Adeniji and Logan Wilson, and one of those at least on Twitter and Marcus Bailey. I didn't see anything on any of social media for Akeem Davis Gaither signing his contract, but I did see him post on his Instagram a story of him driving past Paul Brown Stadium. So those four guys definitely in Cincinnati. Who did we hear nothing about today? Fifth round pick Khalid Kareem, and more notably, second and first round picks T. Higgins and Joe Burrow. Everyone's been waiting to see Joe Burrow in a Bengals shirt and a Bengals helmet and a Bengals jersey in Paul Brown Stadium since he was drafted. And the pandemic has, of course, put that on hold. As of the time of recording, this is at 6.30 Eastern time on Tuesday evening. Joe Burrow has not been to Cincinnati as far as we know, although he could have been there to do his COVID test today with the rest of the rookies. He has not signed his contract. Again, as far as we know, I've seen nothing from his agents. I've seen nothing from him on social media. I've seen nothing from the Bengals who formally announced on the team website and on social media that the other four rookies have signed their deals. Nothing on Joe Burrow, nothing on T. Higgins, nothing on Khaled Kareem. So the wait continues for those three. While many NFL teams have now inked their entire rookie class, the Bengals still waiting to finish up their last three picks in the 2020 draft and get them to actually sign their contracts. Next week, we'll have veterans starting to show up, getting their tests done, maybe getting some physicals done, so players like Trey Waynes and DJ Reader might finally put pen to paper. Trey Waynes, notably, was in the news a few weeks ago for complaining, for lack of a better word, that the Bengals weren't creative enough to let him get his deal done, didn't let him go see a doctor in a private practice to get a physical done. They want him to see their doctor and their facility, and that is yet to happen. But soon after the COVID test is passed for Trey Waynes, for DJ Reader, for the rest of these free agents that the Bengals have signed this offseason, you can expect that contracts will follow shortly thereafter. The other big piece of Bengals news today, in my opinion, is a Laurel Fowler report from WCPO. Fowler reports in a conversation with Rodney Anderson that he would definitely be kneeling. Anderson told her that he feels like there's a big issue And that issue is unarmed black people being killed by law enforcement officers unjustly and that he's 100% behind the kneeling movement. He also told Fowler that he doesn't want to call for anyone else to kneel, but he expects that other Bengals and others around the NFL will be kneeling this year, especially following Roger Goodell's roughly 90-second statement back on June 5th that the NFL was wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier. Of course, this follows 2018 when they actually banned kneeling during the national anthem. The league has done an abrupt about-face, and it sounds like, despite some reports from Elise Jesse earlier this offseason that Mike Brown previously did not take kindly to Bengals players considering kneeling, this might happen this year. And if you're a Bengals fan, you should be prepared for it whether you agree or you don't. Anderson also talked about the small group meetings over Zoom that the coaches led a few months ago and said that the small group conversations were really constructive. He feels like the coaches are with the players in terms of the choice to kneel. 
However, he did also mention that he has not talked to Bengals ownership about the topic of kneeling, but hopes the organization will stand by what they say, referring to earlier statements from the organization and Katie Blackburn about racial injustice this offseason. So we'll have to stay tuned to find out how this plays out, especially with the idea that fans may not be in the stands this year. Coming up next, I'm going to talk a little bit more about A.J. Green. I know we have talked it to death the last three days. I'm just going to give a small rebuttal and acknowledge James's points because he makes some good points. But I, I unlike James, am not competitive about this. I'm not taking a side here. I'm, I'm about presenting what I think to be the realistic possibilities for any player, for any season. So I'm not taking a position here. I'm just going to talk about the other side a little bit because there was nobody there to tamper, temper James's enthusiasm or expectations. And maybe he's right. Maybe he's wrong. I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm just going to tell you that there are some reasons besides just the fact that he was injured, besides just the fact that he's 32, to think that A.J. Green might be slowing down. We'll talk about that coming up next. Also, there's no preseason games. The NFLPA has told the players there are no preseason games. The NFL put it on the table on Monday, and it sounds like that's the way we're going. So we're going to have to talk about that a little bit too. That's another conversation that James and I had the last time we spoke. What happens if Joe Burrow gets hit for the first time in his first regular season game? Stick around, and we'll get into A.J. Green coming up next. And as we do, we'll talk about Joe Burrow and some other Bengals points in the rest of the show. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. For segment two of the show today, I want to talk a little bit about expectations for AJ Green again. And I know you're sick of this conversation. I know that this... Is something we've talked about for three podcasts in a row, starting with a bilateral conversation between James and I, followed by James pumping up AJ's expectations for this year, uh, followed by today, where I'm going to talk about it again. Because James thinks that because AJ Green has high expectations for himself, and because he's going to get paid like a top five wide receiver this year, the Bengals have high expectations for AJ Green, that fans should also have high expectations. For AJ Green, that fans should also expect him to be a top five receiver in the NFL. And a bunch of people put out their own opinions about the top 10 receivers in the NFL just recently on Twitter. And I am not really going to get into those lists right now. And I'm not going to get into whether I think AJ Green is a top 10 receiver in the NFL right now. But what I am going to talk about a little bit is trends. And this is why perhaps your expectations for AJ Green to be a dominant wide receiver one in the NFL could be a little bit too high. There are, of course, reasons to expect A.J. Green could be a very, very good player this year. He could go back to his old production. There are also reasons to expect that he might regress. 
We talked about age on Monday's show. I'm not going to reiterate that. We talked about the likelihood of recurring injury a little bit on Twitter. That's a point that former co-host Joe Goodberry made. As you age, it takes longer to recover from injuries. Currently, AJ Green is healthy. And if he gets hurt, there's nothing he can do to really control that. But it might take him longer to come back from injury. So those are a couple things just to start with to get out of the way. The other thing to talk about is that since his fantastic 2016, AJ has not been as dominant a player. In 2017, he was still very good, but he started moving into the slot a little bit more for the Cincinnati Bengals, who needed to try to find ways to keep their top playmaker involved in the offense. That year, he had 143 targets, which is a pretty good number for a 16-game season. He had 75 catches for 1,078 yards, 14.5 yards per catch, 67 yards per game. Now, that is essentially career lows in a few areas. He set a career low in yards per game in his last fully healthy season. That was 2017. And one of the lower yards per catch numbers in his career that year as well. On top of that, and this isn't all his fault because Andy Dalton was erratic, he set a career low in catch percentage. In 2018, he bounced back a little bit before his injury. He played in nine games. He had 77 targets for 47 catches. And if you extrapolate that to a full season, he's probably pretty close to one of his best years. He's on pace for well over 1,000 yards, probably 1,300 or so yards and 11 or so touchdowns. He didn't get to finish that year, so that's where the injury risk comes into play a little bit. But that's also, to James's point, an indication that Green isn't slowing down with age. And further to that point, next-gen stats, when the Bengals put the franchise tag on Green back on March 16th, tweeted that AJ is one of the best receivers in tight windows in the NFL. He ranks fourth in the NFL in yards per target in tight windows since 2016. He ranks fourth in touchdowns on throws into tight windows since 2016 and first in passer rating on throws into tight windows since 2016. So that is all an indication that, hey, that's a skill that doesn't necessarily need to go away. And he was on a very positive trajectory in 2018 before he got hurt. Besides that, you could look at PFF grades. For 2015, 2016, he had over 90 grade for both of those years. Two of his best years in PFF grading. 2017 goes down to an 82, 2018 up to an 85. So still pretty good, but not top five wide receiver good. The other thing to note is I talked a little bit about the slot snap counts. And for AJ, this really took off in 2018. Prior to 2018, the Bengals were probably getting AJ into the slot roughly 10% of the time on average for the last few years. In 2018, they moved him into the slot and played him there closer to 20 to 25% of the time. That is a significant change in the way they aligned A.J. Green. That tells you that they're trying to protect him a little bit from bump and run, give him some free releases, give him a little bit more of an opportunity schematically to get open without relying on physical tools. Now, all of this could be false worry, right? These trends are very short-term. There's not really enough data to back them up. 
There's nothing that tells us A.J. Green is definitely going to get hurt this year because I truly believe, and I think that most of the data backs me up on this, that injuries are mostly luck. There, He doesn't have a chronic condition. He, he doesn't have a deteriorating knee like you hear about with some running backs. There's nothing chronic about A.J.'s injuries, as far as we know. And he says he's fully healthy. So you trust that. You trust that he says, I think I have some years of elite production left. Now, what does that look like? Well, I think that's the question that we have to ask. And there are some indications that he will continue to be productive on a per-target basis. One of those is PFF's yards per route run. The only time in A.J. Green's career that he has finished outside of the top 10 in yards per route run was his rookie year. That's it. Since then, 2012 through 2018, including the years that he got hurt, including the years I just talked about where his production might have slipped a little bit from counting stats, his yards per route run still top 10. Now, you want to talk about a guy that is supposed to be a top five receiver. AJ's only been in the top five in this metric about 50% of the time. That leaves some room for improvement, even in his best years. You go back to the year he led the league in this metric. It was earlier in his career. And since then, he's been, you know, eight, five, in that range. And this is a good metric. You look at the players ahead of A.J. Green, Keenan Allen, DeAndre Hopkins, Tyreek Hill, T.Y. Hilton, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones last year. And Albert Wilson's in there too, but we don't count him because he only had 36 targets. That's a pretty good company to keep. He's ahead of Mike Evans, ahead of Odell Beckham, ahead of Cooper Cup, ahead of Devontae Adams, ahead of anybody else you could name in 2018. So if that continues, he's shown no signs of this particular metric slowing down as he's aged. As it relates to the rest of the league, he's been right up there in yards per route run, which tells you how much efficiency are you getting from having A.J. Green on the field just running routes on passing plays. Pretty good numbers across the board in this area. So that's a reason to think that the production won't fall off. And you can listen to the soft factors, the emotional factors, the James Rapine factors of A.J. Green's confidence in himself, of the Bengals being willing to pay him $18 million. Neither of those are data points, really. Those are those are emotional arguments, and, and I'm happy to have you buy those, right? But... What I'm saying and what I was saying when I was talking to James before is that receivers slow down on the other side of 30. That slowdown gets more pronounced the older they get. And the older you get, as Joe Goodberry pointed out to me on Twitter, the longer it takes you to recover from injuries for most people. And that's been true for AJ Green too. People talk about AJ's a fast healer. I don't think that there's really a whole lot of evidence for that. He's gone on to a season-ending injury reserve a few times now. He hasn't come back from injuries early. In fact, just last year, we saw that an ankle sprained on the first practice of preseason kept him out all year. Now, you can argue that he could have come back and played in the last few weeks of the season. That's still a pretty long time for an ankle injury. These are the reasons to temper your expectations for A.J. Green. The reasons to not temper your expectations for A.J. Green are... He has always been an elite producer in the NFL, going back to his rookie year when he was 19th in yards per route run, and then since then, top 10 in yards per route run in seasons he's played. In every metric you could possibly look at, he's been near the top of the league. 
Those are reasons to think AJ Green will continue to be very good. He will continue to be able to rely on very refined technique, very good ability to win in contested situations, to high point balls, to time his catches right, to use great body control to bring the ball in. But then you also have to acknowledge that, on the other hand, the athletic tools might start to slip a little bit. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that AJ Green is going to be bad, and this is literally the most negative I could possibly be about AJ Green. I still think he's going to be really good. I'm just saying that there is a world where AJ isn't the AJ of 2016 when he was on pace for like 1,600 yards. Even though he wasn't catching a lot of touchdowns that year, he was he was almost at 100 yards per game that year before he got hurt. That was going to be his best year. You might get something more like, you know, 70 yards per game from A.J. Green. And that's still really good. That's still just fine. It's just not 1,200 yards, 100 catches, 10 touchdowns. In fact, his career high in catches, 2012, 2013, 97 and 98, hasn't gone over 90 since then. So high yardage, maybe high touchdowns. That's a pretty high variance stat. And around 70 catches, all reasonable things to expect. But if you're expecting him to go out there and be a top five producer at the wide receiver position in the NFL, that might not be fair. Maybe he does it, and I hope he does it. But there are reasons to think he might not. And that's all I'm saying. Whenever you consider what you're expecting from the team, consider both sides. Don't just go in there with only emotional arguments and think, hey, he was good before, he's going to be good again. He's A.J. Green, of course he's going to be great Don't get blinded by your fandom because for me anyway, or you do you, right? Like you, you enjoy the game however you want to. But for me, I would rather know that I'm coming from a place of rationality, right? I'm coming from a place of this is the world of outcomes that could happen. That's enough AJ Green for now. We'll see if James and I get into this tomorrow or Friday, because I I imagine that some of you are going to have questions or take sides. Tag the Locked On Bengals account, actually. Tell me whose perspective you agree with more. And I don't really care if it's James's. I won't be upset. You just be honest with us. Coming up next, there's no preseason this year. How does that impact Joe Burrow, who now won't get hit until the games count? Coming up next. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, so let's wrap up today's show with a little bit of conversation around some news coming out that will impact the entire NFL. The first point is that rumor has it, and it's not really a rumor at this point, I guess, reports have it that the NFL has agreed to cancel the preseason and the NFLPA has told players there will not be a preseason this year. That impacts players that are new to the NFL, of course. Joe Burrow will only get exposure to the NFL game in scrimmages. He likely will not get hit for the first time until that first regular season game against San Diego. 
assuming that the offensive line is what we think it is anyway. Imagine Joe Burrow makes it through the offseason. There's no preseason for him to possibly get hit. He gets to the, the first regular season game. And imagine that the Bengals pitch a shutout against Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. How great would that be? Of course, that's not likely to be a reality. Joe Burrow's probably going to get hit, and he'll probably be fine. He's taken a lot of very big hits in his life, and I'm not worried about it at all, actually. They need to protect him through camp. There's no reason to let him take hits in camp. He might get hit in camp by accident anyway. There's no reason to invite that, though, and there's no reason to believe that he's fragile. So I'm not worried about that one at all. What I am a little bit worried about is that they won't get the ability, they being the Bengals coaching staff, to get a good look at these undrafted free agents, to get a good look at the end of the roster guys, and figure out who is going to make the team. That could be especially difficult because Ian Rappaport said NFLPA leadership said roster sizes are expected to be 80 to start camp, not 90. Rappaport says it's not a surprise and GMs are working under this assumption. Tom Pelissero also reported that the NFLPA informed players tonight that they have reached a general agreement on voluntary and high-risk opt-out. That means players will have, it sounds like, different opt-out options for this year, depending on whether they are at high risk for COVID or if they're optionally opting out. And there's been a general agreement on a stipend for players if games are lost. So that is the news from the NFLPA today as the NFL and NFLPA continue to work toward resolving the money questions as training camp approaches, as they continue to work on safety protocols. It sounds like on Tuesday or on Monday, sorry, the NFL agreed to daily testing, which is something that I believe the players were after. On top of this NFLPA news, we also heard from the Los Angeles Rams who are opening a new facility, a new stadium in Los Angeles that they will have limited or no capacity this year and will be not offering season tickets this year. So things are going in a particular direction. A bunch of people said that their tickets on Ticketmaster got canceled. I don't know the specifics about that. So if you got your tickets canceled on Ticketmaster or StubHub or something like that, uh, let, let me know what's going on there. I'm not really sure what that's about, but it sounds like the, the in-person attendance is going to be low. So we get in some no attendance or low attendance. That's going to be across the league. We have the, the, the knowledge that currently the Bengals players went in the rookies today for an initial COVID test and they come back on Friday for a second COVID test. Veterans are supposed to report next Tuesday, and all of this is contingent on the NFL and the NFLPA figuring out the rest of the questions. So Ian Rappaport also reported earlier on Tuesday that there is a ramp-up proposal in place. It's testing and physicals for five to six days, strength and conditioning plus walkthroughs until day 12, and a ramp-up with helmets from day 14 to day 18 with day 13 and 19 being off days. So we might not see pads go on until the 20th day of training camp. We might not see players on the field until a week from Tuesday. So they're saying that 
July 28th, players are reporting. They've got to get their testing done. They've got to get physicals done. They were allotting five to six days for that. So that means that we're not talking about players on the field until July 30th, July 31st, August 1st. And that seems to be the earlier side of things. And that's just for walkthroughs. No pads until 20 days of training camp. It's going to be different. It's going to be different. By comparison, Tom Palacero says that the NFLPA pushed 21 days of strength and conditioning, then 10 days of non-padded work, and then 31 days later, plus I think the five to six days for testing and physicals, then pads go on. So we're not talking about pads in that proposal, the NFLPA proposal, until what, late August? Very different stuff going on here, but with no preseason games, maybe that ramp up plan makes sense. We'll have to wait and see what the NFL and the NFLPA land on to know when we can expect to see Joe Burrow in a helmet and in pads out there for the first time. But it sounds like potentially the earliest we could see him in walkthroughs is sometime around July 30th. James is back with me tomorrow if his travel goes according to plan. So look forward to that one. We might be able to argue it out a little bit more about AJ Green, or maybe we'll shut up about it, depending on the feedback we get for this show. Besides that, we'll keep you updated as the Bengals are signing some of their rookies. Maybe Joe Burrow will sign his contract between now and the time we record tomorrow. Maybe T. Higgins will sign his contract between now and the time we record tomorrow. We'll find out. And until then, Bengals fans, who day? And have a good one. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.